0: Today is Tuesday, December 26, 2023. I'm Rob, and I'll be briefing you on the war in Ukraine. Yulia is on assignment recovering from a cold. This is the first of two episodes to cover all the major developments over the past two weeks. The key topics in today's report are F-16 deliveries, Su-34 is shot down, and a bounty of Bovovna. Let's dive in to breaking news and developing stories. Late on December 24th, Ukraine shot down another Su-34 fighter bomber reportedly over occupied Mariupol, nearly 100 kilometers behind the front lines in occupied Donetsk Oblast on the Sea of Azov. An advanced, highly maneuverable Su-30 air superiority fighter was reported to be hit over the Black Sea as well. The Su-30 jet may have fired a KH-31P anti-radiation missile, potentially targeting a Patriot battery. Two days before, Ukraine shot down three Su-34 fighter jets on a bombing run over occupied Kherson oblast. A Kh-59 air-launched missile was shot down over Ukraine over Dnipropetrovsk oblast on December 23rd, which is the first time we've recorded that happening. Ukraine clearly has new air defense capabilities, leading us to remember that Australia gave Ukraine an AWACS Aerial Reconnaissance and Airborne Command and Control Center earlier this year. What is that, you ask? This plane, which is operating out of Rammstein Air Base in Germany and is patrolling the skies over NATO, particularly over Hungary, Poland, and Romania, has advanced radar systems, which can pick up almost anything that moves in the sky that emits a radar signature. We speculate that the plane is transmitting this information to Ukrainian Patriot battery systems, allowing the AFU to detect and target enemy aircraft and missiles without revealing the location of the Patriot batteries. By the time the Patriot MIM-104 missile is en route to the target, it's too late for the enemy pilot to react. In fact, they're probably already dead in some cases, given how quickly the Patriot missiles can fly. Oh, and these missiles, they target the cockpit, making Russian claims that any pilots have been rescued really unlikely. Ukraine is now capable of achieving air superiority across nearly all of the occupied territories, with the possible exception of Karim, for now. The major question is when that capability will turn into air superiority or even air supremacy. We estimate this will probably happen within the next two months, and especially if Congress passes the supplemental aid package in January when it returns from the holiday recess. The Netherlands announced last week that 18 F-16s would be sent to Ukraine within a week. So it's already this week, and we're waiting. The UK Ministry of Defense announced the first group of Ukrainian pilots had completed the first part of training and had gone on to Denmark to complete the training program. We're speculating that F-16s are highly likely to be in Ukraine already. We're just not sure when they'll take to the skies for the first time. There were unconfirmed reports three days ago that at least one nuclear-powered icebreaker is on fire in Murmansk, Russia. The Sevmoput, a commercial nuclear-powered icebreaker built in 1988, was reportedly on fire. The Sibir, which is a Russian Navy Project 2220 icebreaker, was docked next to it and was reportedly towed away from the damaged Sevmorput in an attempt to save it. We're still waiting to confirm these reports. Russian forces committed yet another war crime in Krynkih on the left bank of the Dnipro River this weekend when they used chemical weapons against Ukrainian troops there, according to the Institute for the Study of War. The 810th Naval Infantry Brigade published a long post to its Telegram channel on December 22nd detailing a, quote, radical change in tactics, end quote, that the brigade is using against Ukrainian forces in Krynkih. The post claims that elements of the brigade rotated into the Knke area and are applying a new tactic of dropping K-51 grenades from drones onto Ukrainian positions in order to smoke Ukrainian forces out and expose them to fire from various arms. The brigade even published video footage showing a K-51 grenade being dropped on a Ukrainian position. K-51 aerosol grenades are filled with irritant CS gas. 2 chlorobenzyl malolonitrile which is a type of tear gas used for riot control. It also is known as a Riot Control Agent, or RCA. The Chemical Weapons Convention prohibits the use of RCAs as a method of warfare, and Russia has been a party to the convention since 1997. Now, we're not surprised by this. Russia has a long history of violating chemical, biological, and incendiary weapons munitions bans in Chechnya, Sakartvelo, which is Georgia, Syria, and areas of Ukraine. The last time Russian forces used K-51 grenades against Ukrainian positions was in Donetsk Oblast in November 2022. The Air Force of Ukraine launched Storm Shadow or SCALP-EG cruise missiles at Feodosia on the night of December 25th, destroying the landing ship Novocherkask and killing at least 90 Russian crew members. The blast radius from the explosion was at least 600 meters and blew out the windows of businesses and the train station in the city. Satellite images released the next morning show another ship was likely damaged, but we couldn't identify which one it was at the time of this recording. The Russian MOD claimed that the ship was damaged, but pictures posted to the Crimean Wind Telegram channel clearly show the ship has been completely destroyed. Russia attacked the city of Kherson with a missile on Tuesday, killing a police lieutenant and injuring 140 civilians. We're still waiting for aerial glide bomb reports to see what exactly struck the city, but we believe there's a strong possibility that Tornado S, a type of multiple launch rocket system, was used in the attack. We also want to note that Russia has a tendency to exact revenge on civilians in cities that are seen or perceived to resist Russian occupation. We're seeing this even today in Mariupol, which, in 2014, was liberated by Ukrainian forces before falling under Russian control in 2022. The city of Kherson was liberated by Ukraine late last year, and the surrounding oblast is where Ukraine took out three Su-34 fighter jets on Friday. The Foreign Affairs Committee in the Turkish parliament approved Sweden's NATO bid, setting up a vote in the full parliament at... some point in the future. In an autocracy like Turkey. Nothing happens without president-slash-dictator Recep Tayyip Erdogan's approval. The full vote hasn't been scheduled yet. Once ratified, Hungary will be the last country blocking Sweden from joining the alliance. Prick of a prestidigitator and principal provincial peasant and Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orbán has said there isn't a lot of will among Hungarian lawmakers to ratify Sweden's joining the alliance. But he also said Hungary wouldn't be the last one to do so. Hmm, okay, pues tengo una pregunta aquí. When is NATO going to get rid of this dude? Because as an American, I don't want to be paying for Hungary's defense if he's going to hold us over a barrel like this. Like, they need to figure that out. Sweden also announced today that it's been training Ukrainian pilots on its Gripen fighter jets since at least August. This is a huge blow to the Kremlin. The grippins are designed to function in all weather and on the very short runways of the Swedish Taiga. With the F-16s, the addition of grippins would make Ukraine one of the premier air forces in Europe. Now, the line of contact. For our purposes, the Line of Contact is the location where small arms, tanks, APCs, and mortars are in direct engagement with the enemy. The General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine releases a daily report at 6am each morning that includes a breakdown of Russian losses for the past 24 hours. From Saturday, December 16th through Tuesday, December 26th, the Russians lost 11,070 personnel 193 tanks, 302 armored personnel carriers, 267 artillery systems, 14 multiple launch rocket systems, 9 air defense systems or their components, 5 aircraft, 1 warship, 232 tactical operational UAVs, 9 cruise missiles, 430 various tactical military vehicles including fuel trucks, cargo vehicles, and light utility vehicles, and 50 pieces of special equipment. The general staff also reported 955 combat engagements, along with 1,230 incidents of shelling in settlements in Chernihiv, Summa, Kharkiv, Luhansk, Donetsk, Mikolaev, Zaporizhia, Kherson, and Dnipropetrovsk Oblasts. Ukraine's air defense force has been really busy. From December 2nd through December 26th, they knocked out 337 out of 375, or 90%, of Shahed 131-136 Kamikaze drones, 14 out of 20 KH-101 KH-55 cruise missiles, 2 out of 3 Kinjal or KH-47M2 cruise missiles, 14 out of 21 KH-59 short-range cruise missiles, 8 out of 8 Iskander-M ballistic missiles, 5 out of 8 Iskander-K ballistic missiles, 5 out of 8 S-400 anti-aircraft missiles used in a ground attack, 4 out of 10 Kh 31P anti radiation missiles, and as far as we know, none of the S 300 anti aircraft missiles used in a ground attack. All the Kh 31P air launched anti radiation missiles were destroyed after the three Su 34 jets were shot down over Kherson. Russia also lobbed 738 guided aerial bombs at Ukraine over the same time period, but none were lobbed at Kherson after the jets were shot down the AFU shot down not one, not two, but three Su-34 fighter jets in one day. The jets were likely brought down by a Pac-2 Patriot missile over the Russian-occupied cities of Kalanchak and Chaplinka, about 50-60 kilometers southwest of Oleshker. Russian sources posted images of bloody oxygen masks and parachutes and also said that there were fatalities. We're not very confident that anyone survived their encounter with Western anti-aircraft technology despite Russian reports that they did. During his evening address, President Zelensky said, quote, Thank you to our soldiers who destroyed three Russian SUs at once in the southern direction in our Kherson region, unquote, and credited the Odessa Anti-Aircraft Missile Brigade. The downing of three SU-34 fighter jets in a single day is a huge loss for the Russian military. These jets are 4th generation fighters and are the most, uh, advanced fighter bombers the Russians have? According to the Oryx database, just 21 of the aircraft have been destroyed since the full-scale invasion began, and it's estimated that only 200 were in existence as of February 2020. At a cost of around $50 million each, Russia won't be able to replace them or the pilots very easily, if at all. The fighters are most frequently used to drop aerial glide bombs on Ukrainian positions and civilians. Ukraine can move the Patriot battery to other locations heavily targeted by the Russians, like Kupiansk or Avdiivka. And the Su-34's huge radar signature will make them pretty easy targets. On December 22nd, Russia retaliated for downing the jets by firing six S-400 anti-aircraft missiles or Iskander-M ballistic missiles at Friherson from the area still under Russian occupation. Yuri Ignat explained how Ukraine downed the jets on December 23rd, saying they took the planes out in a similar fashion as during the so-called Bryansk massacres earlier this year. He said, quote, Lightning fast and with high precision, just the way the Air Force commander prefers. This is not the first time. It happened twice on the Bryansk front and in Odessa Oblast, where the enemy was caught by surprise. The occupiers are already confirming it in their channels, wishing the Russian pilots an eternal flight. They say that they even managed to save someone from the scene. Well, actually, they got cocky, came closer, tried to strike our troops with guided bombs deeper in defense positions. You know that 500 kilogram guided aerial bombs can fly 20 to 25 kilometers into the depth of our defenses, or 70 kilometers in total. But when you want to strike and are itching to strike, you have to fly closer. They took a risk, unsuccessfully. Hopefully, the Russians will take more such risks, and we will see more downed Russian sushki. The Russians, who care deeply about aviation losses, will have to respond by keeping aircraft further away from the line of contact. Ukraine demonstrated that it has the ability to strike deep into occupied Kherson and Donetsk. In fact, it struck so far into occupied Kherson that the airspace is effectively closed down through the border with occupied Kerim, otherwise known by its wrong name, Crimea. Another unseen enemy is plaguing Russian troops along the line of contact. Rats. And no, not the humankind. Actual rats. And the actual plague. In its December 23rd Ministry of Defense Intelligence update, the UK MOD stated that both Ukrainian and Russian troops have been suffering from an overwhelming influx of rats and mice in some parts of the contact line in recent weeks. The UK MOD confirmed the Ukrainian Military Intelligence, or HUR's, report from December 20th, which confirmed that Russian rats are suffering from rat bite fever, especially around Kupiansk. The streptococcal infections spread in this area because Russian soldiers' complaints were ignored by their commanders, who thought they just wanted to get out of fighting. This year's mild autumn, coupled with ample food left from fields uncultivated due to hostilities, has likely fueled the growth in the rodent population. As the weather turns colder, the animals are likely seeking shelter in military vehicles and defensive positions, and may worsen the morale of both combatants in the field. Furthermore, the rats pose a danger to military equipment by chewing through cables, as was recorded in the same area during World War II. Unverified reports indicate that Russian troops may be suffering from a rise in illnesses that they blame on the rodents, including high fevers, vomiting, weakness, fatigue, and diarrhea. Ugh, that is a literal bummer. Speaking of rodent menaces, the UK MOD Intel update back on December 17th said that Russian Storm Z penal units were being returned to the front, battered, bloody, and broken. Storm Z troops are returning to combat with untreated wounds, including amputations, due to minimal medical care. Convict recruits face even worse conditions than those who aren't trying to wipe their slate clean by serving in a death squad. Apparently, prison recruits often lack the paperwork required to access military hospitals. Which must be a prison in and of itself. Beyond the obvious deleterious effects in the battle space of returning convicts with unhealed amputations to fight, this practice will also transfer administrative and medical burden back to the troops' home units. All these casualties are starting to have a big impact on Russia's ability to just send more meat into the grinder. The AFU is digging in and holding on in preparation for a long winter along the line of contact, according to the UK MOD intel update from December 20th. The AFU is executing a concerted effort to improve field fortifications along the front as it pivots to a more defensive posture. The move follows President Zelensky's call to speed up field fortifications in key sections in late November 2023. In one part of the project, Ukraine has installed dragon's teeth, razor wire, and anti tank ditches as of mid December. Russians continue local offensive operations in several operational areas, but individual attacks are almost never above the size of a platoon. Defense in depth, therefore, will be critical in stopping Russians in their tracks. Russians continue to try to make advances around Kupiansk and take the city. The first step in doing so is capturing the settlement of Sinkivka, which would block supplies from getting to and from Kupiansk. For several days, Russians have tried to advance into Sinkivka, but were repulsed by elements of Ukraine's 14th Mechanized Brigade, which released a video of successfully blasting the Russians to smithereens last week, fighting continued southwest of Pershotravneve and in the area between Ivankivka and Yahidne. Moving south now along the Donetsk-Luhansk oblast border east of Kremena. Video emerged showing Russians assaulting Yampolivka with armor and infantry, and trying to move north towards Terne. In the Serebryansky nature reserve to the south, Ukrainian forces were conducting a counteroffensive just east of the settlement of Dibrova. And in Lysychansk, Russian forces have continued sending DRG units, that's a reconnaissance unit, east of the settlement of Vilohorivka, but have so far failed to make any gains there. Russians also made gains east of Siversk, where Ukrainian forces withdrew from positions near the T-1302 highway east of Sperna. Russians have been trying to advance in the Sperna area since, well, the full-scale invasion began and have suffered catastrophic losses in this area. Russians have also made small gains to the north and south of Bakhmut that are of little strategic significance. Intense positional fighting continued north and east of Bohdanivka, along the T-506 highway in Kromova, where Russians made gains. Ukrainian forces went on the offensive east of Ivaniske, South of Bakhmut. we visit our old friend Kleštijivka, where fighting still continues. Ukraine is successfully defending their positions in the north and southwest of the settlement and are struggling to hold positions east of Andriivka. Ukrainian commanders stated on December 20th that Russia is deploying its most combat-capable troops from the Vodave, that's the so-called elite airborne units, naval infantry units, along with supplemental Storm Z and Storm V penal assault units around Bakhmut, likely to take the city of Chasivyar about 10 kilometers to the east of Bakhmut. Why Chasivyar, and why the uptick in infantry, armored vehicles, and aviation activity there? Well, because the Russians are trying to seize some basements so they can spend the winter there instead of spending it in a trench. AFU Land Forces said on its telegram on December 20th that it will not afford Russia this luxury. As it shouldn't, because Ukraine has the most premium of luxurious basements. No, seriously. The parking garage slash air raid shelter used in Kyiv had complimentary guest Wi-Fi. Moving down and a little bit further southeast of Toretsk, Ukrainian forces conducted reconnaissance missions in Pivdene, south of Shuma. The Tavria Operational Strategic Group is responsible for the Avdiivka, Marinka, Shakhtarske, and Zaporizhia axes in the central, eastern, and southeastern part of Ukraine. Avdiivka, where the most intense fighting along the entire contact line is occurring, continues to be a focal point for the Russians, who are dedicated to take the city no matter the cost. The city of Avdivka is now rubble, with satellite images and ground video showing almost all buildings have been completely destroyed. The entire contact line remains a no-man's land, where neither side controls the area, But the no-man's land in and around Avdivka is the worst. It's hard for Ukrainian or Russian troops there to move without being spotted and targeted by FPV drones. Electronic warfare is active, and both sides are now rationing artillery ammunition. We'll start north of the city, in the Krasnohorivka plateau. Russians continue their slow and steady advance, with not much strategic advantage resulting from their tactical gains. They advanced northwest of Krasnohorivka towards Ocheretynne, Novokalanova, and Novobahmutivka along the railroad grade north of Stepova. Bradley IFVs in the Ukrainian 47th Motor Infantry Brigade are inflicting massive casualties on the Russian troops trying to advance there. Extremely intense fighting is ongoing northeast of the Avdiivka coke plant and around the wastewater treatment plant in the city of Avdiivka itself. Intense fighting continues in the industrial zone in the southeastern part of Avdiivka. Russian forces have been able to push Ukrainian forces out of the area, but haven’t been able to consolidate their positions. South of Avdivka, Russians have continued their assaults between Voldiane and Sieverne east of Pervomaiske, Ah, our favorite town, with Ukrainian troops making marginal gains south of Sieverne. A geolocated video posted to the Operatino zsu telegram channel showed Ukrainian troops inspecting recently destroyed Russian armor there. Nice! As they say in Ukraine, the only good Russian is a dead Russian. Not trying to be offensive, but just keeping it real, this is actually what they say. Russians tried to attack near the Ukrainian firebase at Nevelske, but failed. While we're on this topic, BUILD journalist and notorious ninny Julian Rapke published a fake report saying Ukrainian troops withdrew from Stepove to Bertice. We don't know if it's related for sure, but we were able to find a claim by Russian propagandist Alexander Slodkov saying that Russians had supposedly entered Stepove in the day preceding Rupke's report. Hey, Olaf Scholz, can you come get your man here? The joke's over, it's gone on far enough. Dunkishan. Moving south and west along the contact line now, starting in Marenka. Ukrainian forces still hold a portion of northwestern Marinka, with Russians still attempting to advance towards Volbidia without success. South of Volodar, Ukraine is facing a very difficult situation, although the 79th Air Assault Brigade was able to push Russians back from the administrative border of Novomihalevka. A few days ago, Russians showed their disdain for operational security by posting a video on Telegram showing a modified MTLB tracked armored vehicle operated by remote control using a first-person drone as a camera system that tried to attack Ukrainian troops just east of Novomihalevka. The FPV drone showed the MTLB attempting to deliver an improvised explosive device, but hitting a landmine and going up in a ball of flames before it hit its target. We assess that the use of vehicle-borne IEDs indicates a deficiency in combat potential around Avdivka, Marinka, and Volodar, and have, in the past, indicated the imminent culmination of an attack. Fighting is ongoing in the areas south of Orihiv, west of Verbove, and Novoprokopvika, and south of Robotene in Zaporizhia oblast. Russians struck the city of Zaporizhia itself, which is about 30 kilometers from the contact line, with ballistic S-300 missiles during the day on December 21st. The offensive south of Orihiv has now officially culminated, with the general staff not reporting any offensive activity in the direction of Melitopol for the first time since late August starting on December 24th. The Odessa Operational Strategic Group is responsible for Kherson, Kerem, and the Black Sea. In Kherson, the small bridgehead established by AFU Marines is still holding on in Krynke. On December 20th, Russians attacked their own troops in this area using a Grad rocket. And another Russian laid on top of a kamikaze drone that was shot down, blowing up his face, eyes, nose, and arms. Yuck. Yeah, so I found that video and watched it, and it was pretty gory. Viewer discretion is advised. A video was also posted to Telegram of the Ukrainian 59th Motorized Rifle Brigade destroying a fully loaded Russian TOS-1A Sjolnetspyok 220mm MLRS outside of Krinke, which is the third in two weeks there. Another video posted by Ukrainian sources showed AFU forces dropping a grenade into a chimney of a home where Russian forces were hiding, and another set of pictures in Kherson showed no less than 21 dead, dying, abandoned, and or wounded Russian soldiers in the area southeast of Krenke. I had to count those, and yeah, they're not as gory as the first video, but they're also not that great. These did bring us a lot of Christmas joy here at The Brief especially since they refuted the New York Times' report that forces in Krynke are on an apparent suicide mission. We can exclusively report that the casualty ratio, that's dead, wounded, lost, or captured, of Russian to Ukrainian forces is in excess of 15 to 1 along the entire contact line. For reference, a good ratio for defenders is just 3 to 1. Commander and founder of the Birds of Magyar Ukrainian drone unit, Robert Robertovich Brovdy, has been attacking the New York Times article since it was published. The article, titled, quote, Ukrainian Marines on Suicide Mission in Crossing the Dnipro River, unquote, was written by Carlotta Gall and was published in the New York Times on December 16th. A quick note here, one of the things that I do when I see these articles that have been critical of Ukraine, or almost any article, in fact, is to check whether the writers or editors have any ties to Russia and I've never gone wrong in doing so. Carlota Gall is a Nepo baby whose daddy was a prominent war correspondent, and she started her career in 1994 at, drumroll please, the Moscow Times in Moscow. The story was entirely based on narratives from frontline soldiers who were granted anonymity, and commanders and military leaders declined to comment for the story. Since Ukraine shot down those three Su 34s, no guided aerial bombs were dropped on Kherson, which is the first time since we started keeping track here at the brief. No Kh 59 air launched missiles were launched at Free Kherson either. This strategic success would have been a lot more difficult had the AFU not pushed the line of contact back past the left or east bank of the Dnipro River. Oh, and the comments on the story on New York Times' website are basically all Russian propaganda talking points, like the war is over, Russia must negotiate, and the US spends too much money on Ukraine. Don't fall for the propaganda, folks! Commander Brovdi released a lengthy video on YouTube on December 18th directly criticizing the Times article as biased, and worse, amplifying Russian propaganda during a time when further aid to Ukraine is being questioned. He pointed out that the Russian 104th Airborne Assault Dopes on a Rope VDV Regiment was combat destroyed, and remains of the Naval Infantry Brigade of the Black Sea Fleet were all but wiped out. Brovdy also claimed to have destroyed a stunning 153 Russian military vehicles, which is about the size of 11 companies. Ukraine is playing the best hand they have right now by waging an attritional war and playing to the outrageous casualty ratio between the Russian and Ukrainian forces. A very interesting report published in German newspaper Welt on December 15th offered an interesting take. According to the newspaper, Ukraine is planning a major counteroffensive in 2024. Their evidence? 1. Much of the Western equipment hasn't been supplied yet. For example, only 30 Leopard tanks have been received despite Germany's pledge to supply 200 of them. Two. 95% of Western equipment hasn't even been used yet, according to the Oryx Database of Equipment Losses. 3. General Zelushny may have only performed a perfunctory counteroffensive in 2023 for political reasons, in order to buy time for the full slate of Western equipment, including F-16 fighter jets, to arrive. The article went on to say that the bridgehead in Krynke might be a shaping operation for a larger offensive in Kherson towards Krim. But we think that's probably a bit of a stretch, although we'd be pleasantly surprised if it were true. Speaking of propaganda, the temporarily occupied territories. Ukraine has been busy begetting and bringing about Bovolvna. On December 21, Ukraine struck the operational headquarters of the Sparta Battalion in occupied Donetsk with HIMARS, with video after the attack clearly showing ammunition cooking off. That same day, a gas pipeline exploded in occupied Makivka, sparking a major fire and knocking out natural gas service to the settlement. In occupied Horlevka, shelling damaged the exposed Seversky Donetsk-Donbass pipeline. Several weeks of bad weather, including an ice storm, hit Donetsk over the past two weeks, and over 100,000 subscribers remain without power, heat, and water, going on 10 days. The occupation authorities declared a state of emergency as frustration mounts there. Aw, sad. On December 18th, advisor to the exiled mayor of occupied Mariupol, Petro Andriushchenko, reported that Russians are dismantling the main torture facility in the city, which is located in the basement of the Central Police Department. One of the symbols of the Mariupol tragedy was the Drama Theater, which became the largest shelter in the city, housing thousands of local families. The facility was clearly marked from the air as a shelter, both on the roof and on the street outside, with markings showing children were inside. On September 16, 2022, Russian fighter jets purposefully bombed it, killing hundreds of people trapped inside the theater. They then level the theater and are constructing a new one to conceal evidence of their war crimes. In Zaporizhia, The AFU struck the city administration building used by the Russian occupation authorities and occupied Tokmak, likely with HIMARS. On Wednesday, six powerful explosions were reported on Telegram near the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant, where the Russian occupiers continued to install four more diesel-powered boilers to create additional steam to support plant operations. The Russians also blocked inspectors from the International Atomic Energy Agency from accessing the roofs on reactors 1, 5, and 6 for security purposes, and has blocked IAEA inspectors from accessing all six reactor turbine halls since October. The power lines to the plant have been cut on and off since the Russians destroyed the Novokhovka Dam back in June. In Karim, better known by its oft-used incorrect name, Crimea, there is a ton of activity to report. To better follow along, we suggest looking at the map posted on our substack and Patreon that shows the eponyms of places in Krim in Krim Tatar, or the Crimean Tatar language. From December 15th through December 23rd, 12 explosions were reported in Jankoi. Two were heard in Akiyar, also known as Sevastopol, one in Simferopol, Akmeshit, and one in Kerch. The AFU successfully damaged the ship repair facility in Akiyar, closed the Kerch Bridge several times, confirmed that the bridge is still operating at lowered capacity, and took out major communications and reconnaissance facilities on the peninsula. On December 20th, Ukraine sent a single UAV and three Storm Shadow or Scalpy G long-range cruise missiles and damaged the Center for Long-Range Space Communications of the Russian Aerospace Forces and Military Intelligence Unit 28735, killing one FSB officer at the facility and occupied Alushta. Thirty minutes after that attack, Ukraine sent two Shadow cruise missiles and effectively destroyed the long-range communication complex in Occupied Vetyno, a small coastal settlement east of Yevfatoria, or KEFE, belonging to Military Unit 81415 of the 40th Separate Command and Measurement Unit. In some hilarious news out of Karim, the Russians are totally screwing themselves over. On December 21st, Rosmi, a Russian state media outlet, reported that an attack dolphin, likely one that escaped during the storm of the century last month, attacked a Russian naval vessel, resulting in one sailor going missing. Well, this was according to Russian sources, so it probably wasn't really an attack dolphin, it was probably some type of Ukrainian drone. Russian officials refused to comment on the incident. On December 21st, an S-400 Triumph air defense system fired three missiles into the air at ghost targets with two exploding in the air and one crashing back down to the ground. We assess that the misfire was due to electronic warfare or a serious radar malfunction. At a supposed cost of 1.2 billion billion, one one would think they would have gotten more for their money. Staying with Karim here for a little bit. OSINT researcher M.T. Anderson released satellite imagery in analysis, confirming that the most dangerous Russian warships belonging to the Black Sea Fleet – well, maybe we should call it the Black Sea Flotilla at this point – were evacuated from Sevastopol, Akyar, to either Novorossiysk, which is across from Karim in the Sea of Azov in the Russian mainland, and in occupied Abkhazia, Sakarvelo. The satellite imagery from December 20th showed the grain thief Matroskoshka being loaded with stolen Ukrainian crops for sale on the black market. Anderson spotted the rapucha class landing ship Minsk, which was functionally destroyed during the missile attack on September 13th, being stripped down in one repair bay, with the destroyed Kilo-class submarine Rostov-on-Don still sitting in the dry dock covered. No visible repair work has been started on the, uh, former headquarters of the Black Sea Fleet in Akyar either, although the defenses to Akyar Bay have been largely repaired following the storm of the century last month. We have additional information regarding the Novocherkassk. 4,400 artillery shells, 280 BM-21 Grad missiles, an anti-aircraft missile system, 62 crew, including 8 officers, were all destroyed and successfully demobilized to the bottom of the sea. When I saw the massive explosion, it looks exactly like videos of Ukraine destroying the S-400 Triumph air defense systems in occupied Karim. I'm speculating here, I have nothing else to go on except for the video, that explosion was likely due to an S-400 missile system being destroyed. And it's really, really, really sad. On December 17th, the Russians accidentally shot down one of their Su-25 fighter jets in a friendly fire incident over occupied Donetsk, according to sources in the AFU. Mykola Oleschuk, commander of the Air Force of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, thanked the Russians for shooting down their own plane. Quote, I can confidently state that it was not the Ukrainian air defense that shot down the Russian Su-25 attack aircraft. These were clearly the coordinated actions of Russian anti-aircraft troops for which the entire Ukrainian people sends them thanks. Unquote. Russian mill bloggers confirmed the death of the pilot, for whatever that's worth. And that concludes part one of our multi-part brief for today. We'll convene again tomorrow. In the meantime, remember to check your sources and don't fall for propaganda. Join us on YouTube and TikTok for more Ukraine content and live news reports. And if you haven't already, don't just consider, but subscribe to our work on Substack or Patreon. It helps us a lot. Baba!